each of you that are here to support these meetings, each service. And uh, this is an attempt to uh, immerse ourselves in the Word of God. And uh, by honoring God that way, I'm sure that we're going to see much blessing come from it. Every, uh, uh, every blessing that we have is going to come from the Bible. Our knowledge of Christ comes from the Bible. Our faith comes from the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our knowledge of God's love comes from the Bible. And uh, the more we uh, learn how to be serious Bible students, the more advantage that we can have from this book. And uh, most Bible-believing Christians read the Bible a little bit at least, and uh, maybe even daily. But that is not enough to really understand this book. We have to study it, we have to learn how to study it, and uh, we have to continue to study it all our lives, beginning when we were children. And so we're dealing with Mastering the English Bible, which is a new course. This is a four-part course. This is Volume 1, Creation to the Destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And that covers a lot of the Bible. <clears throat> and then there's three other volumes with this. And we stop today in Genesis The Bible is the only true history that we have of man's beginning. Everything else is mythology. And uh, having lived so much of my life overseas, I understand that a lot better, I believe, than most Americans do. In a place that is steeped in Hindu-Buddhist mythology. And, uh, and, And having studied that before I was saved even. But we're teaching a course now. Uh, finishing up a course in Nepal called Highlights in Church History. And we have dealt with the history of America, history of Britain, and uh, highlights. But the thing that made America unique and great in, in many ways was the Bible and the influence of the Bible. Historian Daniel Drasbeck said that the Bible in the past, in its earlier history... The Bible is the most authoritative, accessible, and familiar literary text in America. It was called the lingua franca, which is the common language. It was the common language in America, the Bible. All Americans, practically all Americans, in our early history were educated by the Bible. And they were, they were educated by the Bible and they thought biblical thoughts even, when, even though they were lost, most of them. Never in American history has most people been saved, as far as I can tell. Ben Franklin, one of the founders of our nation, was by his own admission lost, but he was deeply influenced by the Bible. And so, the Bible. Noel Webster, who gave us the American Dictionary, English language, said, Our liberty, growth, and prosperity was the result of biblical philosophy of life. It was. It was. And Patrick Henry said, Patrick Henry said a lot of things. He said, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, but he said something greater than that. He said, the Bible's a book worth more than all other books that were ever printed. Yeah, that's a better statement even. And this was our heritage and this was our history and the nation has rejected this, but we don't have to reject it. But it is easily lost. A biblical 
a, a solid biblical faith is easily lost. It just slips away. And that's what's happening in independent Baptist churches everywhere I look. The biblical heritage is just slipping away, getting weaker all the time, not stronger, weaker. And if we're not going forward, we're going backwards. And there's no doubt about that. Now we are. <laughs> and so the, the, um, the book of Genesis, we're looking at Genesis chapter 4. We saw the beginning of religion in the beginning of Genesis chapter 4. These two young men, Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve. And the beginning of true religion, and so-called in the beginning of false religion and man's religion. And then Cain stubbornly refused God's plea to repent and he went out away from God, the Bible says. Genesis four sixteen through 24 And here we see the beginning of cities. Genesis, the book of beginnings. Genesis 4, 16 through 24. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. On the east of Eden. He wasn't very far from Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Cain built the city. And unto Enoch was born Arid, Arid begat Mehujuel, and Mehujuel begat Methusiel, Methusiel begat Lamech. Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other Zelah. And Ada bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and the organ. And Zelah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And that's all we know about Nama. And she was the sister of Tubal Cain. 6,000 years ago. But her name's in the Bible. That's interesting. But here we have the beginning of civilization and the beginning of cities. Cain is the father of this wicked world system that we live in. He's the father of it. That's where it began. And uh, John described it as the world. Love not the world. That world system. That is characterized by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That world system that captured my heart when I was a kid. And drew me out of a Baptist church. The music especially of the world. But that began with Cain. It's not a new thing. It's a world built by rebels. He was a rebel. He was the first rebel. uh, As far as (laughs) other than Adam. First rebel. To blatantly reject the sacrifice of Christ and invent his own religion. A world that tries to live without God. He went out from the presence of God. And that's what men are trying to do today. Everywhere in the world. To live in the world. To live, enjoy the creation that God made. And all the beautiful things that God made. Without God. And it's foolish and it's not possible. But that's what they're trying to do. And it's going to come crashing down very soon. But that's what men are trying to do everywhere. 
Men enjoy the things that God made. They enjoy the fruit and the, all the sorts of food everywhere in the world. Different kinds of food, but, but it all comes from God's hand. God planned it. And men enjoy their families, and they enjoy their children, and they enjoy their grandchildren, and they go, enjoy going out to parks, and they enjoy going to the ocean. And they just, God made all that. And this is the fruit of Cain. Cain is the father of all this foolish rebellion. But it was also a world of cities. A world of cities. And uh, it was the headquarters for their defiance against God. Men have loved ever since to congregate together in cities. Cities is where you go to preach the gospel. That's where Paul went. I personally don't like cities. I like country. and uh, But I don't have my choice. I live in a big city. Three billion people. And I've spent 30 years of my life in that city. That's not where I would choose to live. I would be out in the country. I have been. And uh, for 10 years I lived on an island. Whidbey Island. One of the most beautiful places on earth. That I've ever seen. And I've traveled very widely. And it was paradise as far as I'm concerned, that island. And we fished off of that island. And my boys and I, my boys were teenagers then. And we fished and we, uh, we caught salmon off the shores of that island. And we, uh, and I had a boat and we did fishing and we would go skiing even in the winter up to Mount Baker. And, and, uh, just driving around was like driving around in a postcard with the ocean right here and the rivers and the lakes and the, and the big forests and the huge dug firs and all the beautiful things. That's what I love. And I worked outdoors in those days. But I don't do what I want to do. I want to do God's will. Do you? Are you ready to go and do whatever he wants you to do? Are you ready? Most people get saved and they don't surrender themselves at that point to knowing what God wants me to do. You've been lost and therefore you're not in the will of God. And whatever job you had... Uh, that was not done in the will of God. And then you get saved. But most people at that point don't say, look, here I am. This is a new life. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Cain. World of cities. If it wasn't for the cities, Oregon would be very conservative. Politically even. And Washington State would be. And most of the states would be. The country people think different. And it's a world, it was a world of the glorification of man. The world that Cain invented. It was all about man. God didn't make man to be all about man. God made man to be all about God. God is everything. God is everything. There is no life apart from him. There is nothing apart from him. There's not a breath apart from him. In him we live and move and have our being. But the world system... Glorifies man. Cain did not name the city after God. He named it after his own son. It's a world of immorality and the corruption of marriage. That's where polygamy began. God made marriage between one man and one woman. And that's biblical marriage. And man has no right to change it. But Cain's rebellious son said, I'll have two wives. And that was the beginning of polygamy. And that's rebellion against God. And David was a polygamist and Solomon was big time a polygamist. But it was not the will of God. God allows a lot of things that he is not pleased with. Or we would all be dead immediately. (laughs) And he did. 
But it's never been his will. It was a world of music and art. All of these things begin here. All of the, God tells us the beginning of all these things that we, that where we live today and how they all began. It's amazing. Revelation. Music and art was there. Cain and his children loved music and art. They made music. That's a complicated thing. It's very complicated. Music is. And, uh, and to make instruments that play musical notes and play them in such a way that, uh, it's beautiful and har- harmonic. That's complicated. And so the Bible's telling us right here that these were not cavemen. That immediately man was intelligent and upright and made in God's image and had creativity. Amazing creativity. Not only that, technology. It was a world of technology and inventiveness. Technology and inventiveness. The the Tubal-Cain was an artificer, an instructor. Of every artificer in brass and iron. And that's complicated. To make brass and iron. To make brass. Is a complicated process. It's not a simple thing. And uh, but he knew how to do it. And he knew how to make iron. And I don't believe in an iron age. And a stone age and all that nonsense. Right from the beginning. God says they had iron. And uh, so the. God. Moses. Is the only one that wrote about the beginning under divine inspiration. God's the only one that knows what was happening back then. And so I believe the Bible. And I don't believe anything about evolutionary theories. Not a word. The Bible's 100% true. And all those theories that are against the Bible are 100% wrong. Oh, absolutely. The Bronze Age. It's all a myth. And uh, so much intelligence that we see. Being active right here in the beginning. It's a world of violence. Violence. Verse 23 it says. Lamech said unto his wives. Ada and Zila, Hear my voice. Ye wives of Lamech. And a boaster. I wonder if they liked him. Hear my voice. Ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. He hurt me and I slew him. Who gave you that right? It's a world of violence and boasting, pride. Look what I did, wives. I killed this man. Look at me. I'm a great, I'm so great. I'm so violent. Don't mess with me. That's the characteristic of all of human society. Violence. Anger. Murder. It is today. The world hasn't changed a bit. The United Nations hasn't changed the character of the world. Can't stop anything from happening. Nothing. Nothing at all. Because man's character is the same and he's going to do what he wants to do. One way or the other. It was a world of vengeance, and so he said vengeance. But vengeance, the Bible says, is of God. I have no right to take vengeance. That's totally God's business. And it gives you great peace to leave that in God's hands. And not take offense at things. And not try to take vengeance because somebody maybe has done me wrong. How many have I done wrong? Let God take care of those things. 
But that is the world system. And right there in a nutshell, in those few simple uh, verses, in those few simple, very simple words, God describes these things. Only God can write like this. Only God can write such great things in such a few words so precisely and so and, and, and you can study that one passage all your life and, and not come to the end of it. And so the word of God. We come now to chapter 5, which is the beginning of Christ's genealogy. And the genealogies in the Bible, of course, are very, very important. Very important. Because they're tracing the genealogy of Christ. And they are tracing him from Adam because he had to be a man. But he's not actually the son of Adam because he is coming through the virgin birth. But he's a man. And so he's traced back to Adam. He is the second Adam. And the whole Old Testament, as we've seen continually, is pointing to Christ. Pointing to Christ. Constantly pointing to Christ. It's like the whole Old Testament is John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The whole Old Testament is that. So here, every, every chapter is about Christ. Every chapter is preparing the way for the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of God's eternal plan that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God might gather together in one all things in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. All things in Christ. And so we see Christ's genealogy. Christ's genealogy. It says that this is the book of the generations of Adam. The book of the generations of Adam. And in Matthew, we find the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. And that's a whole lot better book. This book, the book of the generations of Adam, might have been an actual book. Says it's a book. It might have been a book that Noah took on the ark in his library. And might be how we have these things now, that God preserved them that way. It says it's a book. That Moses was handling a book. That Moses had a book. We know he wrote the book, but he might have had a book that God preserved and gave maybe even to Adam. We don't know, but we know that this is the book of Adam. Book of the Generations of Adam. And uh, it's a terrible generation because it's all about sin and death, Adam. And everything in Adam is dead before God. And everything in Adam is under God's curse and eternal judgment. For that, for that sin that Adam committed, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, that is true. And everything in Adam will die. And it will be gone one day. It will be gone, totally gone one day in the lake of fire. There's a place where all the things of Adam will be, will be put. It's a horrible place. The concept, the very thought of it is, 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 is terrible. Not just the fire, not just the pain, not just the um, torment that the rich man spoke of in Luke 16, but the the endlessness of it. 
the fact that there is no second chance. There is no second chance. The Bible teaches that in many, many ways. And that's a, a very shocking, terrible thing to think about because man is so stupid and foolish and careless about eternal things. So incredibly careless. And taking life and salvation and eternity with a grain of salt. And yet, it's eternal. And there's no coming back and, wow, the, the, the thing that's going to be for sure in, in hell and in, in fire then eventually is the regret. The regret. I think about that every time I give a tract to someone. That's a divine appointment there, bud, but he doesn't know it. You, you, you right now could have an opportunity to find out something about God and salvation. Most of them don't care. Not at all. Not at all. In Nepal, there is more interest in the gospel than most places. Far more. But in Nepal, there's not very much interest. Nowhere is there very much interest. But the, but the generations of Adam. And so thank God for the second Adam. And the salvation that he offers. And he rose from the dead that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn among many brethren. And every born again person is a, is a brethren of Christ. And a part of the new creation. That's a picture of baptism. That we are buried with him. Died with him and buried with him. And, and, and then risen to new life with him. And if that is not real. If that's not a real thing in my life. Then I'm not saved. I've got to be a part of a new creation. Everything in Adam is dead. And under God's judgment. Everything. There's no in between at all. It's either in Adam or in Christ, saved or lost. So these great genealogy of the Bible, and here we trace, uh, in Genesis, we trace the genealogy of Christ from Adam to Judah. Every part of this book is a miracle book. Every detail. You know, how do you know the Bible's the infallible word of God? There's thousands of reasons. Every page of it reveals itself to be that. These genealogies, how did Moses know these things? How could he see into the future and know about a man that's coming? And whose genealogy he was talking about then? How could he know these things? He could not know these things. These are God's things. And there it is. From Adam to Noah, Genesis chapter 5, as we, we see here. Adam to Noah. And then in Genesis 11, we have the genealogy traced from Noah's son Shem to Abraham. And then in Genesis 25, we have the genealogy traced from Isaac to Jacob. And uh, his name was changed to Israel. I love Israel. And then... One son of Israel, of the twelve, 
And they were a mess, by the way. Was Judah. And he was a mess. But he was the appointed one. God chose all of this before the world was made. Men did not do any of this. I don't have to be any kind of Calvinist to believe that. God is God. God knows everything. God is planning everything. God is working things out. None of these men chose their chose their place in God's eternal plan. And Judah didn't say, well, I want to be the one of the twelve, the one in which Christ comes. He had nothing to do with it. God chose that. God's chosen everything about you too. And I thrill at that. I love I love I love the doctrine of election. I told the pastor that before. A lot of a lot of people get all uh, worried about that. Are you some kind of Calvinist? No, I reject Calvinism. I'm a zero point Calvinist. But man, I believe in what the Bible says. And I believe every word of the Bible. And I believe that he is foreknown. And uh, when, they, when he's foreknown, that means he works things out. And the, in the passage in Romans 8 that talks about the foreknowledge of God, talks about all things work together for good to them that love God, who are them, them who are the called according to his purpose. And you're called through the gospel, through salvation, through the gospel. But you're not called to this nonsense of pray this prayer, go to heaven someday, and then continue to live your life. That is so wicked. That is so unscriptural and stupid. I just think that's a good Greek word, stupid, sometimes. And it is, it is not. It's a call to eternal glory and holiness. And to be a joint heir with Christ. It's a big call. Oh, if men only knew how big it is. All the churches would be filled to the brim and overflowing. Ah, but they don't. Because it's by faith. You've got to receive it by faith. And that's God's plan. So you can't see the glory of what salvation is. You've got to accept it by faith. Seth, and then Adam to Noah, Shem to Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, Judah, ah, Judah. And so, the full genealogy of Christ is given in the Gospels. Matthew traces the genealogy of Christ from Abraham to, uh, from Abraham through David's son Solomon to Jesus' legal stepfather, Joseph. Ah. Jesus was the son of Joseph, but not really. Mary had to bear the reproach of Christ her whole life. How many people do you think believed in the virgin birth, in Nazareth? Almost no one. Where did Jesus come from? He, you were pregnant before you got married. Well, it's a virgin birth. The angel appeared to me. And he, and he was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. No, they didn't believe that. Only a handful of people believed that. It was a gossiping reproach. I've been thinking a lot about that. God, in this present life, there is a reproach to be born for Christ. A lot of suffering to be done for Christ. Paul talked about it. Paul endured more suffering, I think, than anyone ever has, any Christian ever has. 
And he understood what was happening. He understood the necessity of that suffering. He understood the necessity of the reproach of Christ, bearing the reproach of Christ, and being nothing in this present world. Nothing. When Paul stood before those noble men in Caesarea Maritima, that's still a beautiful place. And it was a glorious city in, in that day. And, and he, he spent two years there, and he stood in front of Festus, Felix, governors of Rome. They lived in palaces. They had as many servants as they wanted. Their servants did whatever they wanted them to do. They were not Americans. They were Romans. And Romans believed in slavery, and slaves were slaves. And there Paul was before them, a prisoner Half crazy, they thought. You're mad, Paul. Much learning has made you mad. No, he was the only sane one in the room. And, and, and they, he was not on trial. They were on trial. But at that present time, he was the prisoner, the poor man, the refuge of the Roman society, not wanted by the Jews and not wanted by the Romans and not wanted by anybody. Truly a pilgrim. That's a reproach. Mary. And we see her that genealogy traced in Matthew, and then Luke traces Christ's genealogy from Adam through David's son Nathan to Mary's father, Heli. Mary's father. And so that's the virgin birth genealogy. And it and there it states in Luke three twenty three that Jesus was the son of Joseph, as was supposed. And it was supposed by just about everybody. Virgin birth. Yeah. The shepherds believed it. A few little shepherds that, that one day. A couple old people in the temple believed it. Simeon and Anna. Just a refuge of the world. Uh, just nothing people. Nothing people. Uh, but they were the ones with the truth. And that's the genealogy. And then we have the account of Enoch's life. And Enoch, God tells us quite a bit about this man, so it must be important. And one great thing about this man, he walked with God. And he named his son prophetically. He was a prophet and a preacher. We have one of his very powerful sermons in the book of Jude. Somehow Jude was given that. Either it was passed down. Or God, the Spirit of God gave him that directly by revelation. But he gives us one of Enoch's powerful little sermons. Enoch was preaching about the second coming of Christ. 5,000 years ago. The second coming of Christ, which is ahead of us. Enoch saw it. Enoch preached a fiery sermon about ungodly people and ungodliness. That's the kind of preaching we need today. That is the kind of preaching we need today. The reason America doesn't fear God is because the pulpits don't preach the fear of God and the pastors are afraid of the people. And that's a fact. As best I can tell, that's a fact. And I understand it because I'm a man. But we need to fear God more than man. and Because God's people need the, the, the word of God and they need it in such a way that it the spirit of God can stir people up and Show them their sins and change them. 
preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. There's a lot of negative there. And so, Enoch. But the thing about him is that he was taken away. He, he didn't die. He didn't die. I don't want to die. I've come close to death twice in the last few years. I don't want to die. I don't fear death. I don't want to be there when I die. <laughs> because of the pain part of that deal. <laughs> A bad heart attack is very painful. But thank the Lord it usually doesn't last very long. But uh, no, but I'd rather not die. I'd rather be raptured. What an experience it's going to be for, some, for those in our in our church in the ball, our goal is to be a Philadelphia church. Especially since COVID came last couple of years, we've been we've been in the word more than ever. Our people are more serious Bible students than ever. Every one of them, every member, and uh, that's our goal. Colossians one twenty eight, warning every man, and teaching every man, every man, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's our objective and so the people have to submit to the church's ministry toward that end and it begins with warning a lot of people don't like warning in fact nobody likes warning not naturally but we need it it's absolutely necessary and so paul said first thing you need to do with every man is warning and that's face-to-face. That's not from the pulpit. That's every man. That's a personal ministry. And, it, and God blesses it and helps people to change. And so Enoch was raptured. And that's coming. It, it's, when will it happen at any time? That's, that is very essential to understand. That there is no, nothing that needs to happen before the rapture. We're not looking for signs. Any sign, every sign that, we, that, that needs to have been done has been fulfilled. But it can happen any time. And God's in complete control of, of that. Of the timing. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Second Thessalonians 2. Only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So there's one that's, that's holding the reins and that's God. And the devil's got his plan and he's roaring and ripping because the devil roars and rips. One thing about the devil is he's not lazy. And uh, and he's persistent too. But God holds the reins. The devil wants to put his man on the throne of this world. He's been trying for a long time. There's been many forerunners of the Antichrist. Many forerunners. Hitler wanted to make a 1,000 year reign. Where did he get that idea? He was building a capital city for it. It was going to be magnificent. Didn't get, didn't get it done. And, uh, and Charlemagne, who founded the Holy Roman Empire, he was going to build a thousand year reign. And where did that come from? It comes from the Antichrist and it comes from the, uh, one he, uh, the devil wanting to place his man on the throne of this world. And, but God hasn't allowed it and will not allow it. And Putin, he's, he's, uh, there's going to come a man named Gog one day. 
Gog is a man and Magog is the nation, but Putin's probably not it. But he's forerunner. They hate Israel. Russia hates Israel. Always has. And uh, But it's not time for that. Israel's not dwelling in safety today. Oh, Israel's not dwelling in safety today. Israel has the best military in the world. I think if Russia tried to attack Israel, it would defeat Russia. Period. Hands down. Hypersonic missiles are no. But the, but there's going to come a time when Israel's going to lay down her arms and feel safe in the arms of the Antichrist. And that's when God will come. Anyway, Noah, Enoch was raptured. Raptured. God is... We see here the great light that God has given men. You need to study that. Because there's always been great light in this world. Great light. God's never left man without light. God, it's not God's fault that men sit in darkness in most parts of the world. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that Nepal sat in darkness for thousands of years. Nepal didn't have the gospel in the 1950s. Before that, it was closed. It was, not, it was closed because their kings refused to allow the door to be opened to any foreign influence. Till the 1950s, my lifetime. But it wasn't God's fault. Back in the days of Solomon, the kings of the earth knew about that glorious temple. It was probably the most glorious building that's ever existed on earth. And they knew about it, and they heard about it, and they went and visited it. And they saw sacrifices and they said, what's those sacrifices? Well, let me explain it to you. And yet they went back and forgot about it and their people didn't care about it and it continued in darkness. And we give a, many examples of the great light that God has given through those dark times. All the way up to the present. And even the Phoenicians. We don't know what light, we don't know much about the light that was distributed in those old times, prior to Christ. There were the Hebrew scriptures. How far did they go? There would be portions, there would be individual scrolls, there was no whole Hebrew Bible, it would have been too big to even carry. But they, in the synagogues, they had individual scrolls, and some of the synagogues would have all of them. And, and, and so those, those scrolls would be copied. Uh, our portions, like Isaiah 53, we don't know how much of Isaiah that uh, the eunuch had that day. Did he have the whole scroll? We don't know. The whole scroll is 24 feet long. It's a big old thing, but you roll it up. and He probably had the whole thing. He was a rich man. And, uh, but we don't know. The Phoenicians worked with Solomon and with David. Hiram was, was the king of Tyre, who, and that was the head of the Phoenician commercial empire that was all across that whole part of the world. They were traders. And how far did the Hebrew scriptures travel? We don't know. We'll know that one day. And so we see in these times before the flood, God shows us exactly what we need to know today. I love history. I study history a lot. And, uh, I've had the opportunity to travel and visit historical places like places pertaining to the Waldenses in northern Italy and 
Oh, many, many, many places like that. I love it. But one reason I love history is that I have the key to understand history, which is the Bible. And I'm glad that the first thing I did for the first many years of my Christian life, Pastor, was study the Bible more than anything else. I've always been a reader. I am a student. I am naturally a student. And I didn't study much before I was saved because I didn't care about it. and wasn't. I didn't have anything to draw my attention very well. But when I got saved, this is, I realized this is the book. This is the book. This is the book. And so I've got to, I set myself out to learn this book as best I can to learn it. And uh, that 49 years later, that's as much my goal as passionately as it ever has been. And it has paid such great dividends. That's why I'm passionate about that God's people will become serious Bible students. Every one of them. Most of them are not. And that is sad and that is a shameful thing. And that's not a wise thing. But we're trying our best to change that in so far that we can. Weak little people that we are. Because you're never going to regret taking the Bible more seriously. I don't care how seriously you take it right now. Or even how old you are. There's some oldies in this church. I'm 72 years old. I'm not a youngster. And I study the Bible and thrill at the Bible more today than I ever have. And it's paying greater dividends than it ever has. And uh, nobody will regret becoming a much more serious Bible student. And it is a matter of study. It is not a matter of something easy. It is a matter of grammar. Of book learning. And study. And learning how to deal with principles of interpretation. I'm repeating myself. But it pays such great dividends. Such great dividends in every area of your life. And to be a father and to be a mother is a huge responsibility that God has given. It is not any small thing. And we don't believe in sending our children to the public school. We do not. We never have. My my wife and I have never sent our children not one day to a public school. We don't believe in that. We believe that it is the parents' responsibility to do that. We believe that. But we must educate them properly and seriously, like the Jews used to do, so that they can learn the Scriptures, like we see here in Deuteronomy, which we're, what we're going to close with this session. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, taking that responsibility as parents to educate those children so they can know the Scriptures properly is no small thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, here we see it in a nutshell. Here's another nutshell. God is able to to put such great things in just a few words. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Well, now we've got to start at verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. In the heart. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou risest up. When thou liest down and when thou risest up. All the time. Talking about what? The word of God. We read a quote a while ago in beginning this session of a man that said that a certain time in America's history, the Bible was a lingua franca, the, the, the common language. And that's how it must be in our homes, that the Bible is the common language of the whole family. But, but the Bible is not a small book. And this is not just learning John 3.16 and a few verses. And it's not just learning verses like a parrot, like Einstein, the parrot. It is understanding those verses. And putting them deep into the heart so that they're life-changing. And that takes a lot of instruction as to how to do that. This is beautiful stuff, but this is serious stuff. Yes, we believe the church is a pillar and ground of the truth. I believe that with all my heart. What church? A local church that has pastors and deacons. That's the context of 1 Timothy 3.15. And the church is the headquarters for world mission. I believe that. I'm a missionary, and I'm not a missionary out of a mission board. I believe it's the church's responsibility to train pastors. I believe that. There's not a Bible college I recommend. But our church has a Bible college. Because we take the training of those preachers very seriously. And we want to train them thoroughly and right and properly as best we can. We want to do these things. We want the church to do these things. We want the families to do these things. But we want to do them right. And solidly and wisely. We'll end there for this session.